When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. May our testimonies be as deep and as strong as that of Jacob, who when confronted by one who sought to destroy his faith, declared, I could not be shaken. Hello and Merry Christmas to all of you incredible Unshaken Saints out there, dear friends all over the world. I am so grateful for you and grateful for this time of year to be able to focus on the Savior Jesus Christ. In some ways we have been focusing on Him all year long and for several years now. And those of you who have been enduring me for, for four years almost, we're, we're nearing the end of this, uh, of this round of scripture study, I just want to express to you my gratitude. Uh, life has been so busy lately as I've been trying to get to the end of a semester with my students at BYU, trying to keep up with everything else and prepare for Christmas and so on. And I had, I'd been tempted just to hope that people would be able to find old videos of Christmas to be able to get into the spirit of the season uh, or go back to the early on in this year when we studied Matthew chapter 2 and the wise men and Luke chapter 2 and the shepherds. We got to celebrate Christmas back in January. Uh, and so I had been sorely tempted just to try to keep my, my snorkel tip above water uh, by referring you to, to old videos. And yet, I just wanted to take a moment today and thank you and to wish you a Merry Christmas more personally. And teacher's gonna teach. I gotta take advantage of the opportunity and just share some things about Christmas that I hope will be a blessing to you. Uh, I, the, this season needs no help from anyone like me to add to its spirit. And yet, if I can speak of Christmas by way of Christmas gift to Jesus and to you, then I'm grateful for the opportunity to do so. Yeah, it's, it's such an incredible time of year. It is magical. And though the, the magic has changed from my childhood, it has deepened and turned from, from North Pole to Holy Land, uh, and from, from Santa to the baby Jesus. Uh, such a richer, deeper, more, more powerful story. One that is true from top to bottom, start to finish. And I just wanted to spend a few minutes with you today to celebrate together and to, to just rejoice in this Christmas season. In some ways, it's an odd time to do so, as we are uh, in, the, in the thick of the book of Revelation. And last week when we were talking about the beast and starting to look forward to the mother of harlots and we met the great red dragon and all these scary images, the grim reaper and the grapes of wrath. And now all of a sudden we're going to stop our study of the book of Revelation and interrupt it with a Christmas message. Well, maybe that's more appropriate than we, than we imagine. Because last week in chapter 12 of Revelation, we also met a woman clothed in the sun with the moon at her feet and a crown of stars upon her head, who was laboring and in travail to bring forth a son. So yeah, maybe mid-revelation is more appropriate for Christmas than we realized. As we ponder a chosen vessel, a, a virgin clothed in the sunlight of her own purity that was laboring and in travail to bring forth the Son of God. She, in some ways, was the tree of life who bore fruit to manifest the love of God. And so to picture her and him uh, with so many other, this beautiful cast of characters, Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and an innkeeper somewhere that could have had a more starring role if he'd know, known who was coming. Now, the Christmas story, the nativity scene, uh, this is something worth celebrating, not just during December, but all year long. So I want to take just a few moments. I'm going to try to do two impossible things today. Number one is to, be not, not, is to not be not long-winded. And as you all know, that's hard for me. Uh, I'm not going to be taking a big chunk of scripture, and that's what makes it so long, is we're going verse by verse and phrase by phrase so often. Uh, it's been a joy, but it is time-consuming, as you and I both know. I'm going to be shorter today. Uh, and it's not scripture that I'm going to be studying, it's song. And that's going to require the second impossibility, the second miracle you'll have to pray for. And that I'm going to be doing some of this in French. Now, French is not, is not a language that I know. I speak English, and thanks to my mission, I speak Spanish. 
uh, aunque tengo corazón de latino, tengo lengua de, de gringo todavía. Uh, I, I still speak like a gringo. And, and that's especially true with French. When my wife and I were first married, she served a mission in France. She taught uh, French at the MTC. Uh, to hear my wife speak in French is, is beautiful. And I, she can't say the same about me when I try to reciprocate in, in her mission language. When we first got married, we, we, got a, we started reading the Book of, of Mormon together in French. Uh, Le Livre des Mormons. And when it was her turn to read verses, it, was, it was just sounded like, like poetry. And when it was my turn to read, it sounded like French in a Spanish accent. And my wife just mm, cringed and tried to endure it well. I still can't help it that when my wife makes crepes, or crepes, as she says, I always smile and say, oh, I love French tortillas. They are so delicious. And she just rolls her eyes and puts up with me, as she's been doing for the past 25 years. I was actually tempted. Uh, well, I, I wasn't just tempted. I, I did this. I asked my wife, what do you think about joining me for this uh, episode of Unshaken so that you can read all the lyrics of this song in, in its native French? Uh, for those of you who've been following the Unshaken Saints uh, Instagram page that my good friends April and Ralph are running uh, so beautifully, their talent is incredible, their, art their artistry, their spirituality comes through so beautifully in that. Uh, they they, they <laughs> convinced me to ask my wife to join me for a brief two-minute uh, Christmas message that they were going to post on Instagram. And I was grateful my wife was willing to do so. But that was as far as we go. Uh, she prefers to, be in, to, to wait in the wings, to stay off stage and off the spotlight. To be honest, so do I. And it was only COVID that forced me in front of everyone. Uh, but my wife, rather than, be, than speaking these words in French, will be praying for the gift of tongues for me. And I'm sure the gift of interpretation of tongues for you. I'll do my best, but you'll have to bear with me. Uh, the song, though, deserves its original. We know this song as O Holy Night, and it is second to none, in my opinion, among Christmas carols meant to invoke the spirit of this glorious season. Oh, to fall on our knees and to honor, to honor the baby Jesus as he lies in this manger. I love this song, and to hear it sung well, it's, it's a thrill every Christmas time. But the original of this song was written in French. Uh, it can, it's called Cantique de Noël, uh, Christmas song in short. And it's often performed during the Midnight Mass in French-speaking Catholic congregations. Uh, this is an old Christmas song from the 1840s and was originally written because a new parish priest wanted to invite his parishioners in for a Christmas season. And he turned to a French wine cellar, if I remember correctly, who was also a poet, and asked him to write down words that could then later be set to music. So we have one man, his name was Placide Capot, who wrote the words, and then Adolphe Adam was the one who wrote the music. Uh, as it began to spread and grow in popularity, uh, an English speaker named John S. Dwight, he was a Unitarian minister, decided to translate the French into English. And that's where we have the English version of O Holy Night. Uh, and I'm always amazed. When I went on my mission and I started sing singing the hymns in Spanish and realizing, whoa, this follows really, really well the English original. And yet to somehow still make it rhyme at the end of the lines, that's incredible. It's one thing to translate prose, but to translate poetry and somehow still maintain a rhyme scheme, a rhythm, a meter, the spirit that was invoked by the original poetry, that's, that's nigh unto miracle. And I, I think John Dwight did an incredible job to the point that the spirit of the original still breathes through loud and clear, the translation. But there are some things that had to be changed in order to make it fit in English. And there are places where the French original breathes such a spirit of praise and humility and adoration where you can't help but want to sing along, even if French is not your native tongue. As I was reviewing the lyrics and trying to practice them out loud before hitting record today, despite my occasional cringes of, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, the words in French brought such a spirit that I pray will be conveyed by my poor attempts to follow. 
Uh, pray for me, I pray for you, and I pray that the spirit of this season may come through loud and clear in all that you do this Christmas time. But can we turn to O Holy Night? I will read the, what we have as English to start things. That will be familiar in our English-sounding ears. Uh, I will then give the French original as best as I can pronounce it, and then give a more literal translation of the French. Uh, we'll be doing it mostly in pairs of lines, in couplets, uh, just enough that we can understand the flow and remember what we're, what we're singing in English. But my biggest hope then is the next time you hear it in English, some of the French will, will echo. Uh, at the end, if you're watching this on YouTube, I will include a link at the end to a musical version in French from Andrea Bocelli, the incredibly, an incredible blind uh, Italian uh, opera singer. And though his eyes do not see, his voice opens our eyes and allows us to see. Uh, he does two of the three verses of this hymn, uh, the first and the third. I don't know why they skipped the second, but the, the version that he performs is absolutely breathtaking. And so you can link straight to it if you're on YouTube, if you're watching, or if you're listening to this on the audio-only version, you'll have to go find it yourself. Uh, but it is an absolute, an absolute masterpiece, especially if you have just enough understanding of the French to know what's being said. So with that, may we turn to O Holy Night and oh, let the chorus of angels begin to sing. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Now, in the original French, it doesn't begin with, O holy night, it begins with midnight. Minuit is how it's said. Minuit, chrétien, c'est l'heure solennelle, où l'homme Dieu descendit jusqu'à nous. Which literally translated means midnight, Christians. That's why it's often sung at the midnight mass. But midnight, Christians, it is the solemn hour when the God-man descended to us. That is such a powerful phrase to describe the condescension of Christ. L'homme Dieu, the man-God. And to take a word that couples Christ's divinity and his humanity, that's as apt a description of what was happening in that glorious midnight hour as anything I know. This is John's version of the Word made flesh. This is the condescending Christ. This is the heaven descending to the earth and the God-man, fully God, fully man, fully divine, fully human, in every way capable of helping us ascend because of his glorious condescension. As we studied two weeks ago in the book of Revelation, he is lion and lamb. He is both. These are some of the contraries of Christ. And so for Christmas time to embody that combination of divinity and humanity, oh, to see in the baby Jesus, not only the son of God, but the son of Mary, there is no atonement without incarnation. And the incarnation makes visible the condescension of Jesus Christ. So the God-man descended to us. Back to the English we're familiar with. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, which is such a beautiful word. That here we are just pining away, struggling under the weight of sin, unable to overcome our own errors. And it's long been that way from the fall of Adam and Eve on down. So long lay the world in sin and error, pining, Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. I love what John Dwight did with the, with the French here. Uh, it is so powerful to picture the soul finally reawakening to a sense of its own divine worth, made obvious because God so loved the world as to send his only begotten son. Uh, up until that point, we were pining hopelessly. We cannot overcome our sin. And yet when this God-man appeared as the baby Jesus, our souls finally realized what we were worth. For great is the worth of souls in the sight of God. Now the French original here is quite different, but John Dwight's attempt to, to convey what was said here, I think he did an admirable job. But listen to the original French. 
pour effacer la tâche originelle. Était son père arrêté la courroux. Now, to understand what he just said there in the French, it has to grow out of the previous lines about the condescension of Christ. That this God, man, descended unto us. Why? These last two lines of the French answer that question. Pour effacer la tâche originelle. Now, often when people take the original French and translate it into English in a more literal way, more word for word, la tâche originelle is often translated as the stain of original sin. Technically, it simply says the original stain. Original sin is a Catholic concept that has grown up with the help of St. Augustine, for example, uh, to help the world see our desperate need for Jesus. Now, of course, we need to see that need. But we do not believe in the doctrine of original sin the way the rest of the Christian world does. Because we know from the Pearl of Great Price that Christ came to atone for original guilt. And to Adam and Eve themselves, our very first parents, after having been taught the law of sacrifice and then explained its symbolism, how oh, those glorious odes to joy that Adam and Eve then gave to help teach us their realization that we will not be punished for their sins. The second article of faith makes that crystal clear, right? That we will be punished for our own sins and not for Adam's transgression. But we are born into a world of sin with the susceptibility to sin. And as a result, we end up with stains on our garments that only the blood of Jesus can wash out. And so on this midnight hour, the time of greatest darkness, here comes the light of the world to pierce that and to take that which is dark and turn it into something gloriously brilliant. To take something stained, our own stained soul, and purge us of that so that we can become clean again. So to erase the original stain, it is gone. Gone from Adam and Eve, gone from each of us because of the birth of Jesus and the atonement he would later perform. The last line then that I read to you, et de son père arrêté la courroux, Often that's translated, and to end the wrath of his father. And yet we also know of God, yes, a God of justice, a God of righteous indignation, but a God of absolute love, to the point of sending his only begotten son to save us rather than condemn us. It makes me wonder, rather than to end the wrath of his father, to go back to the, a, a literal translation from his father, stop the wrath. Rather than thinking of stopping the wrath that's coming from the Father, how about to be sent from the Father to stop the wrath that we sometimes succumb to one against another? How about peace on earth, goodwill toward men? How about we stop our mutual enmity and overcome the anger we so often feel toward one another or towards our weaker and worse selves? Jesus did come to erase stain and to calm troubled hearts, and to eliminate anger. What a gift from the Father in doing so. Now back to the, the song the way we sing it. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Again, we're going from the holy night to the glorious morn. We're going from the, the sadness and sorrow, the pining away over our sin and our error, into a thrilling hope. This weary world is waking up to a day dawn worth rejoicing over. Now that beautifully captures what was said in the original, but listen to the French. Le monde entier tressé d'espérance en cette nuit qu'il est dans un saveur. Which means the entire world thrills with hope. That's why John Dwight was so wise in saying a thrill of hope. That's there in the, in the original as well, okay? It thrills with hope. Another way to translate tresse is to tremble. So picture the world trembling out of absolute joy, hope. A perfect brightness of hope as Nephi gives it to us. Why? Because of that last line. En cette nuit qu'il est dans un saveur. On this night that gives it a savior. This glorious, holy night has gifted the world itself a Savior. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. To be granted that title at the very beginning, a babe in Bethlehem, an infant newborn lying in a manger, oh, that's the Savior of the world. And boy, is the world in need of saving. No wonder we tremble. No wonder we thrill with hope. As a result, such a fitting culmination of this first verse, the English says, fall on your knees. And I love hearing those who sing that with such passion. It dr almost drives you to your knees. In, in, not in humiliation, but rather in true humility. We just sink to the floor in such gratitude. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, night. Oh, night divine. Now, as beautiful as that is, listen to the French. And the way it's conveyed in the original is breathtaking. Peuple à genoux, entend tu délivrance. Noël, Noël, voici le Rédempteur. Noël, Noël, voici le Rédempteur. Peuple, that's we. we there's, I'm grateful that French is full of so many cognates. Okay, that uh, the Norman invasion brought a lot of French into England, and therefore a lot of French into English. And so, peuple, yes, just hear it, that's people. So, to all the world, okay, this is a message that is, is aimed at every person. And what's the command? A genoux. To your knees. There's a, there's a strength there. There's, I mean, fall on your knees conveys it beautifully. But to address the world, people, listen up. And on your knees, do you have any idea what has happened? If you are unaware of the identity of this babe of Bethlehem, let me clarify it for you. And once you know who he is, this reminds me of what Elder Maxwell said, that when we come to truly know Jesus, we know where we stand in relationship to him. And we know we don't stand at all. We kneel. And so people, to your knees, when he says, attend to deliverance, to, the, to attend is, is in, a, in a literal translation, it means to wait. But it also means to attend to something, as if to pay attention, to be waiting at beck and call, to be an attendant, to be someone who is attentive. And what are we paying such close attention to? What are we waiting for with such hopeful anticipation? Our deliverance. So, attend, behold, you could say. Attend to this. Focus on this. Do you have any idea what is happening this midnight, you Christians? No wonder he repeats the phrase, Noel, Noel, Christmas, Christmas, voici, here, le Redempteur, the Redeemer. One of the things that you will notice as we go through this, as we finish this verse and then move into the second and the third, is the repetition over and over and over again of that glorious word, Redeemer. This is a song about redemption, about deliverance. It is a Christmas carol <laughs> singing of Easter. The redemption that would come through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so to speak to Christmas... Christmas, Christmas, here he is to join with Christmas in giving this glorious declaration to the world that you can have a perfect brightness of hope because the light of the world has dawned in the middle of the darkness. So Christmas, behold, see, hear, voila, <laughs> or voici, is the Redeemer. Such rejoicing. Hold on to this thought, by the way, by the time we get to the third verse. Because here in the, at the end of the first, we are falling on our knees, beholding the Savior in front of us. Notice what we will do by the time we are done. So hold this in, in, in memory. But turn to the second verse, which in English translation says, Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming. With glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. 
You see the light of faith, the glowing hearts. We sense the light that is being made manifest here. From the original French, de notre foi que la lumière ardente nous guide to a berceau de l'enfant, which means may the ardent light of our faith. Ardent, it could also be translated fiery. So to picture the, the flame, the fire there, cloven tongues of fire that descended upon the apostles at the day of Pentecost, the, the cleansing fire of the Spirit of God, the refiner's fire that purifies our faith anytime we are sent into the fiery furnace. But may the fiery light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant. I love that. That is how we find our way to the stable. This, in, in, the, in the Christmas story, it's the angels telling the shepherds where to go to look. Or in the Matthew version, it's the star that is guiding the wise men from the east. We'll sing more about that in just a moment. But what is it that guides us to God? What is it that helps us come into Christ? It is our faith that shines ahead of us and points the way. No wonder we need to develop unshaken faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will pierce the darkness. And so by that fiery light of faith, the ardent glow, may it guide us to the cradle. We then sing, So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise men from Orient land. That was the light that guided them, just like the light of our faith guides us. The French there, Comme autrefois une étoile brillante, as in ancient times, a brilliant star. Or, as it's also been translated, like a bright star once upon a time. That kind of language breathes fairy tale magic into this story. But this story is true. It's no fairy tale. But once upon a time, a bright star shone. The wise men came, or as the last line says, it guided the oriental kings there. Another way to translate that, it brought there the chief men of the East. And whether East or West, North or South, it is the chief in terms of humility. It is the wisest among us that are still seeking Jesus, guided by the light of their faith. The English then sings, the king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. Talk about an irony. Highest of the high, now brought lowest of the low. How's that for condescension? In all our trials, born to be our friend, which again shows his willingness to be word made flesh or to wrap our injured flesh around him, as is also sung, oh, that he was willing to be our friend, the kind of friend that is born of trial. There's proof of someone's true friendship. Now the French behind that, le roi des rois, so the, the king of kings, Né dans un humble crèche. So, almost a word-for-word -word translation that we get in our English version. The king of kings was born in a humble manger. But then the next line, which you have to hold on to because it's the beginning of a thought that isn't finished until the next line. Okay? In English, we stop with that sense of, in our trials, he was born to be our friend. And then we can move on to the, to the end of this second verse. But in the French... Puissant du jour, fier de votre grandeur. And then there's a comma that leads us on to the next line, which I'll get to in just a moment. But literally translated, that line says, O mighty ones of today. So puissant du jour, you who are mighty, you who think you are the wise men and women of our time period. Proud of your greatness, as the fier de votre grandeur. You have this grandeur about you. At least, so they say, and so you want people to believe. Oh, careful, you mighty ones. There is someone infinitely higher who has condescended to come down even beneath you. What's he doing that for? What lesson is he teaching the wise men who have come to bow before a baby? There is, again, an irony there. Not just in the condescension of Christ, but the willingness on the part of these wise men to condescend in their own way, to kneel before someone who infinitely outranks them. 
So here, the mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness. Now he's just addressing a group. What's he about to tell them? That's where we have to shift to the next line in the French. In the English, it doesn't require that kind of quick transition. The, the verse ends in English, he knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. So behold your king, before him lowly bend. And again, behold your king, before him lowly bend. It's a magnificent ending. I've always loved that line, that he's no stranger to our weakness. That's condescending Christ as well. That he came to atone for our sins to buy us salvation, but to buy himself perfect empathy. We've talked about this before. That's why his atoning sacrifice was merely the preparations for him to apply his perfect empathy in every situation we find ourselves in. So if we can understand that sense of acknowledgement on Christ's part, I get it, I understand, I'm not a stranger to your weakness, I know your need. As we've studied this year, because of that, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. You get that, that, that sense so beautifully from the English. But that, probably more than any other line in this song, is a complete departure from the French original. I don't know all the reasons why John Dwight decided to make such a drastic change. But to go back to the original, on the heels of the line we just sang, about the puissant du jour, about the powerful, the mighty of the earth, those who are proud of their greatness and grandeur. Now that I have your attention, you mighty men and women, you th who think you are too high to come down and kneel beneath, but beside a manger, here's the message for you. And this is, is the word for pride in French is impossible for me to say. So please forgive me in advance. It says, A votre orgueil, c'est de là que Dieu prêche. And then goes on, courbez vos fronts devant le Rédempteur. And again, courbez vos fronts devant le Rédempteur. Now, that first line that builds on what had just been sung before it, here's a more exact English translation. We've gone from, O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. That blows me away. That stops me in my tracks. Anytime I think I'm more than I am. For God to preach humility to me. Oh, in the book of Ether, Moroni says that Christ appeared to him and spake unto him in plain humility. King of kings, able to speak in plain humility. King of Kings riding in triumphantly, but on a mere donkey. So many examples of a humble Savior coming into the world. And here, the fact that God would send his son as a baby to a humble couple that couldn't even afford to offer a regular sacrifice at the temple, had to bring their two turtle doves instead. That is humility. And to those who have not yet mastered humility, what is the message that the birth of Jesus brings? What is Christmas crying out to them? It is addressing their pride, undeserved as it might be, and saying to them, bow your head. In the English, it's behold your king, before him lowly bend. And that seems to be, again, kind of a, a humble Kneel at his feet and adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, right? But the way it came forth in the French was much more, oh, I almost want to say confrontational. There's a line in, that Blaise Pascal once said, and he was a philosopher during the Enlightenment, but he was trying to preserve faith in the face of a reason that didn't want to leave any room for anything it deigned unreasonable or irrational. It's where we get Pascal's wager, right? You really want to take that kind of gamble? But there was a line that Pascal once said where he was speaking to the rationalism of his day. In a blaze of righteous indignation, Pascal says this, What will become of you, O man, 
who try by your natural reason to discover what is your true condition. Know then, proud creature, what a paradox you are to yourself. Be humble, impotent reason. Be quiet, imbecile nature. Know that man surpasses man infinitely. And what blows me away by that statement is this sense on Pascal's part of how dare you mere mortals think you have it all figured out in this so-called blaze of enlightenment glory. You don't even know what you are yet. You haven't, we haven't even figured out our own essential nature. Do we have any idea what lies at the base of this paradox we call human existence? We, there is so much for us yet to learn, he is saying. And so reason, almighty reason, as his fellow philosophers were calling it, were crowning it. He instead called it impotent reason and pointed to the ground and said, get on your knees. Be humble, impotent reason. It is going to be the light of our faith that guides us to the manger. It is the light of the world that is beckoning us to come. And it is our spirit within us that will respond to that invitation. There, to me, is something magnificent about the call of this song in its original, saying that what is God aiming at when he preaches? In fact, what was he aiming at when he sent his son in these kinds of conditions? He targeted your pride. And to that pride he preached. Do you want to see might and majesty and glory and power? Then look at one who is willing to become a helpless infant. And once you, it dawns on you, once your impotent reason has been silenced and your pride has been laid low, then what will you naturally do? You will bow your head before the Redeemer. That's what that last line, that repeated last two lines invite us to do. In fact, command us to do. Once our pride sees its place and realizes it has no place before Jesus Christ. Again, what we sensed, what, two weeks ago in Revelation chapter 5, and the new song that was spreading out to encompass all creation, that worthy is this lamb. In this case, worthy is this babe there in Bethlehem. Worthy of all our honor. It's amazing how pride just evaporates in the presence of the humility, the plain humility of Jesus Christ. We have no leg to stand on. We only have knees on which to kneel. So bow your head before the Redeemer. There's that word again, over and over in the French. It's our Redeemer we're worshiping. With that, we only have one last verse that couples, again, beautiful tra English translation that grows out of incredible French original text. The way we sing it, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Beautiful language. A law of love? How's that for a contrary for you? Uh, we sometimes feel that law is unloving, and yet the law of God is love itself. It's a manifestation of his love and a command to us to live in it and to share it with other people. His law is love. His gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of great joy, that is peace. So, of course, we sing peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How it emanates from this manger. But the original French, let's pick up right where we left off, about bowing our heads before the Redeemer. And the next line in the third verse, Le Redempteur a brisé tout entrave. La terre est libre et le ciel est ouvert. Which means the Redeemer has overcome every obstacle or broken every barrier, as other translators might render it. But to see him 
having overcome everything, that is the good news. No wonder we can love each other. No wonder we can publish peace. He has overcome all things. And then the last line, la terre est libre, the earth is free. Le ciel est ouvert, the heaven is open. That is magnificent. We lose that in translation, okay? But the earth is free. No wonder we can rejoice. The heaven is open. And from it has descended this tiny king. Now, no wonder we can love each other. No wonder we can proclaim peace. How beautiful upon the, upon the mountains are the feet of those who publish peace. Well, imagine baby feet poking up from the straw within the manger. And it's only a matter of time before he himself will be publishing peace. But from that moment on, the Prince of Peace has come. The heaven is open. The earth is free. Now build on that thought of the freed earth. And the next line in English makes sense. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Notice though, it's not just the slave is our brother. We are slaves ourselves. That's why the earth had to be freed. We are all in bondage. We are pining away in sin and error. But here, chains are broken. He has come to free us. The French behind that, fascinating. Il voit un frère où n'était qu'un esclave. La mort unie se conchaînait l'affaire. Which means he sees a brother where there was only a slave. Now, I love the English that we, that we sing. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. But the way it's originally written, how does Christ view anyone? It could be someone enslaved to sin, but that's not how the Lord pictures them. It's not how he perceives them. He sees a brother. Again, he's not ashamed to call us brethren, despite the fact that we are chained to the natural man within. He doesn't see that. He sees past it. And he sees a brother or sister worth saving. And then the last line, translated more, more exactly, love unites those that iron has chained. So I've even read some who wrestle with that French and, and wonder, is it that the iron is chaining them? Is chained the right way to translate enchaîné? I guess literally so, but it also means to link. Think about links in the chain. And so you are connecting, well, connecting people to their prison. That's what chains will do. But there is this sense of connection. And so then reread it. And there's this beautiful irony in the French that's suggested because love is uniting, linking, connecting, binding us where previously it had been iron doing that. Do you sense the irony? We are no longer chained to our sins. We can be chained to one another. We are not bound in mutual opposition. We are bound in mutual love. And so love uniting us, how oh, those lesser chains have been broken by the Prince of Peace, by the one who calls every slave a brother and then acts as his brother's and sister's keeper. The next line, sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. And that praising will come in the final chorus. But pause here. The French behind that language says this, Qui lui dira notre reconnaissance? C'est pour nous tout qu'il n'est, qu'il souffre et mort which means who will tell him of our gratitude. Think of that. Qui lui dira notre reconnaissance? Now I had to pause and talk to my wife about this because gratitude, is that what reconnaissance means? And my wife smiled and said, well, that's one way to translate it. But also think about reconnaissance, reconnaissance. Now, there's a cognate there. But, to reconna but reconnaissance as in recognizing something, 
it dawning on you who this really is. And so when he says, who will tell him of our gratitude? There's a sense of who is going to tell him that we finally recognize him for who he is. How will he come to know that we have come to know him? Life eternal, to know God and to know Jesus Christ, to remember, to recognize. No wonder gratitude comes in the immediate aftermath. There's no help in that. I finally know you for who you are. No wonder the wise men could kneel and offer gold and frankincense and myrrh. No, no wonder the shepherds came to identify the newborn lamb of God. There was recognition there. This was reconnaissance from the shepherds abiding over their fields by night. And as they came and saw and recognized, this is how you will know, the sign will be given, that there in a manger you will find the king of kings, the Passover lamb. Who's going to tell him that? May we all tell him that. May we sing of our gratitude, of our recognition. As it says in the last line, it's for all of us that he is born, that he suffers, and that he dies. That's the beautiful last line in the French. Il naît, he's born. Il souffre, he suffers. Il meurt, he dies. Here's Christmas already looking forward to Easter. There's recognition for you. There is king and God and sacrifice behind the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. The wise men came and knew that he would be all of those things. The shepherds came and identified who would be the Paschal Lamb. There's reconnaissance, there's recognition, there's gratitude. And it's when it dawns on us, he was born for us. He suffered for us, he died for us. What will we now do for him? Well, the last chorus of this magnificent cantique tells us what we can do. In the English translation, Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Yes, his power and glory evermore proclaim. With that, the English translation comes to its close, but the French behind it, do you remember how the first verse ended? With peuple, people, and what were the people commanded to do? Fall on your knees. Kneel. Impotent reason, right? You pride, the, the, the pride is what I'm aiming at. So it can be swallowed up in humble recognition of who lies before you. Well, this time, peuple debout, which means people stand up. Chante ta délivrance, which means sing of your deliverance. And then again, those famous lines, Noël, Noël. Chantons la Rédempteur. Noël, Noël. Chantons la Rédempteur. People that were kneeling two verses ago are now on their feet, ready to run, ready to spread abroad the glad tidings of great joy. They really are meant to be to all people. So shepherds get up and run. Wise men, head back to the east and spread the word everywhere you go. How Simeon and Anna announcing things in the temple a week later. Every one of us who has spent any time with beautiful feet upon any mountain publishing the message of the Prince of Peace, people stand up. Off your knees, head out to a world that is still pining in sin and error and give them the good news of their deliverance. Christ has come. Our Redeemer is right here. And so Christmas, Christmas, Noel, Noel, sing. May we sing together in all of this. That's another way to translate the last line. It's not just that Christmas ought to sing this Christmas carol. It's that we should all sing. Let us join this Christmas season and every season to sing of our Redeemer. As you turn to Andrea Bocelli and let him perform this magnificent Cantique de Noel in its original French, 
I pray that the spirit of what we've been discussing comes through loud and clear, whatever your native tongue might be. To be honest, our native tongue, our real language, is the language of love from child to parent. To look at our Father in heaven and offer him our praise for having sent his only begotten Son into the world to save us. My dear friends, I am so humbled by the gift of God. I am so grateful to be able to sing praises. Not only can I not speak French, I can't hit the high notes in this song. I wish I could. There's a part of me, though, that feels way down deep. If you could hear the song of my soul, it would sound like Andrea Bocelli. <laughs> it would be a crystal clear. Not tarnished or hidden or, or blurred by any sense of myself. I would get out of my own way. I would overcome my pride. It would be, have been sung into non-existence. And humbly I would find myself simply singing with all my soul. Whether your song is O Little Town of Bethlehem or Come All Ye Faithful, whether it's singing of a silent night or proclaiming your joy to the world, sing and realize that once we come to know Jesus, how can we keep from singing? My dear friends, Merry Christmas. May the joy of this season be the greatest gift you receive and give to others. And may you sense in the baby Jesus a Christ child worth singing about.